So, so Brian, uh, loved your talk the other day. Really enjoyed the panel, Ashley and Adam. But Ashley and Adam, um, you know, Brian is a bit of a shrinking violet, and you really didn't get let him get a word in edgewise on the panel discussion. And I saw him yeah. desperately trying yeah. to get a we word in. A so lot. he promised yeah, us that he was the moderator. Right. So. <laughs> I think I it was well, great. Uh, no, it was it, it was, was great. terrific. I mean, obviously, look, the three of us, there is no moderator. That's the reality. The, the three of us. <laughs> There's no moderation that could happen. You can't hold us down. Exactly. No, it was uh, it was great. Thank you very much for yeah. that. That was that was a lot of fun. And I do feel though it was short in that, like it, just as it was getting like super spicy, or like and we're out of time. Oh come on, now we're getting interesting. Uh, but that was that was a lot of fun. So. Uh, thank you both for yeah. Where do we want to pick it up, Adam? Do we want to? Uh, well, do you want to give, I mean, give a little bit of context here? Or yeah, do you want to give a little synopsis of of your talk, perhaps? And then there were actually a couple of topics that kind of tailed off towards the end that I was hoping that we could pick up. Sure. So um, the so my talk was a I, I revisited a talk that I gave in 2012 um, on corporate open source anti patterns um, when when we learned that Ashley was had baby Ashley dreams about what open source was so long ago. Um, Ashley, I love that. I, lo I love the, uh, the the way you phrased your your younger, more optimistic self before we were all jaded. And, uh, but so in that talk, I t was really focusing on, I mean, Oracle was the villain of that talk. That's like, let me just like distill it down for you. It was Oracle based villainy and more like not actually Oracle has so much villainy that you actually got to be more specific than that. This is more like the companies that large companies that were participating in open source poorly in the kind of the Oracle's extreme, they were making things proprietary, but a lot of other companies just weren't really uh abiding by the social contract open source they weren't really giving back and that's kind of what i was that's what the, that was the theme in 2012. in 2023 that is not the theme uh my if oracle was the villain in 2012 then uh just bluntly hashicorp was the villain in 2023 in part because they just embody so many anti-patterns who saw that one coming though seriously did not did you see that yeah. one coming i did not see that one coming i didn't i didn't they see it coming at all Roku. The yeah. the fate of Heroku, I feel like, was when the direction started going a bit yeah. sideways. So, Adam, when you say like, you mean Twitter. like hashy in, in itself, like in particular, if we were good to go back into a time machine even a year ago and tell ourselves that like hashy's the villain, you'd be like, what? What happened? Don't is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. I just I wouldn't have predicted it. And there were a few people in my life who are like, who are like smart in the know folks in the open source conversation who dropped like who dropped hints that they were like just wait till the big bomb drops you know oh, and, I'd really? be, and i'd be like you can't just say that shit to me like give me the <laughs> gossip you know like i'm over here being a friend you can tell me to keep it a secret but they kept that shit locked down tight um but yeah i there were definitely rumors that i was not privy to <laughs> or they were briefings could be briefings um but yeah i did not i would not have predicted it in fact, like two, two months ago, three months ago, Adam, I, I would have put them at like last on the list there. I, I thought they were like, I kind of loved them. And I think that's that's what made this change all the more galling for me. Yeah, I think you're right, Adam. That's a really good point. That Because like, I mean, God, it was when we had Kelsey on talking Ugh. about it, it was so I mean, it, and it just, you know, Kelsey talking about like, hey, all the work I did for you back in the day, you know, I didn't have to do any of that. 
and now like I'm a chump for doing that work. I mean, I was just very, uh, very evocative and yeah, it was totally surprising. And, and I hope, you know, next? I gotta say, yeah. I just said, who do you think is next? Cause certainly Ashley <sighs> Corp won't be the last. Adam is now when we announce a, a, a <laughs> I shouldn't even joke. My product hasn't even made it into the market really yet. I'm going to go business open source license. Okay. So, okay. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be optimistic. I am going to say that this is a turning point. This is just, so I know this may be ridiculous. I think <laughs> that, that prior to Hashi there, it felt like there were no consequences. And in part, there were no consequences because the, the busling that was happening was actually, um, lower key it was kind of it was tighter i mean you look at like what you know adam when you and i were uh blogging about what was happening in 2018 and confluent and cockroach they look i mean we have so moved the overton window that they seem like completely reasonable by comparison totally and and i so i think that like so kind of with every act there was this kind of like implicit escalation everyone using these other companies as the justification everybody's doing it i'm just doing it a little bit more everyone's doing it i'm doing a little bit more and now i actually really wonder if we haven't hit the like actually this is too far and you're gonna lose the whole kit and caboodle and serve as a a warning to other other I know this is too optimistic, isn't it? I know it's like yeah, I'm so glad this is recorded, so that you know, 20 minutes <laughs> yeah. from now, when someone switches their license, we can yeah. play it back. I, I've had right. I've had more than a few, like let's call it a handful, of conversations with people post HashiCorp's news, being like, "Our board is asking us this question: Is this what oh, we? Man. Is this like what we should do?" And not being demanded to switch by their board. Do you know what I mean? Their board's not right. showing up with a with a fiat you know saying like do this or you're in trouble or whatever but just people asking the question hey like this is a clear trend all the like big versions of what you hope to be someday are doing it like should you be doing it too or are you like missing a trick and like i don't for you know for every handful that talks to me there's like many handfuls that aren't you know and and even the ones who did talk to me, like, who knows what they'll do in the end, right? Like, it's not like everybody listens to my advice and is like, oh, my God, Adam Jacob, you know, like, got to do that. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's I think it's going to be worse before it gets better. I don't know. Your advice is usually very positive, I think, Adam. So I wouldn't sell Thanks, yourself Ashley. for <laughs> I think I give good advice. I'm not saying it's bad advice. I, I think it's the right advice. I just but I don't know. Um not everyone's smart and not everyone follows it. That's fair. But they may not follow it. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian, terrific talk, really enjoyed it. And then a uh, great panel that broke out. Um, and I think the organizers were like trying to give everyone the hook and, and uh, everyone in the audience was asking them not to, this was great. I didn't what realize that until after the fact. I don't know if yeah. Adam and Ashley realized that. I did not realize that until after the fact. Do you realize that they gave us like that, that they were trying to give us the hook earlier and the P99 crowd demanded that they let us run longer. No. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty no cool. That was yeah, that, that's also why the end was so sudden. Because they were <laughs> like, no, 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 I'm now I'm cutting to a commercial, like right now. I'll right. Admit, exactly. I assume but, the end was always gonna be sudden because we we all knew <laughs> yeah. that 20 minutes was just like not enough. <laughs> yeah, we weren't gonna be done talking. Well, it was now we can enough. really stretch out. Um one of the topics that we ended on that I really want to pick back up is that uh, someone, I really can't remember who it was, 
sort of pointed to the big co's from, from 10 years ago and big co's now and saying that their behavior was materially different and better and improved. And I think someone else taking the other side of that. So I, I don't know if that resonates or sounds familiar, but I'd love to hear like, what do people think of Microsoft, Meta, Amazon in terms of their participation in open source and how that's changed? I mean, Can I, I think I Brian was making the point. Go ahead, Ashley. Oh. Oh, I think the thing I was going to say was this word rapaciousness that got repeated way too many times. Um, but I think the thing that's really interesting that I think forks with that, that question that you were just saying is like, there was an element I feel like Brian was saying of like, the that open source like can be a guard on like the greediness of corpse. Right. Yeah. And I feel like Adam said like, the greediness came from the entrepreneurs in open source. And then I kind of was like, I think everyone who participates in open source has some level of greediness. Yeah, I'm 100% um, actually on the greedy side. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the greedy side. I actually think, I, I, don't, I don't think that, I think there's very little, only like there are individuals um, who hold, I think, really deep open source ethics and really like believe in the movement and like what it can do for humanity. I'd like to believe I'm one of those people. And then there's the like reason to participate on an individual level, which tends in, in some larger way, which I think tends toward greed. And definitely if you look at like Microsoft, like Microsoft didn't have a conversion because of they suddenly caught a case of like morality, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they just yeah. like what they saw was this potent weapon they could use to make a bunch of money and hurt their competitors and they took it and then it worked. And now they're like, Oh, we should do that more. You know? Yeah. And I think that my argument would be that and let's call it for the moment, self-interest, even though we can acknowledge that it might be avarice. Um, but that, that self-interest that, and you, you have entities like Microsoft that yes, are Microsoft is not engaged in open source because it thinks it's good for humanity. It's because it realizes that it needs to do this for its own self-interest. And I think my argument would be that that, that that presence is very important because if you the open source acts as a check on these companies and that they, they behave even worse when they are strictly proprietary because they have not just unlimited pricing power, but they effectively have a natural monopoly under their own over their own customers and they end up in this just this obscene relationship that even and so this is my this was i think i adam you let and me I, add him, let me add yeah. <laughs> well no because i i think people don't understand how ugly these i, I mean and I, actually i guess we're not allowed to use the word rapacious do i have to have a synonym for rapacious because the, i just thought it was very funny that we like got stuck on <laughs> such a illustrious word like I don't, it was right. just yeah. funny to me <laughs> but the the way in which these these strictly proprietary companies handle themselves are is so unspeakably gross especially now so it's like the in particular so i actually adam as i was reflecting on what you were saying and kind of as we were talking about that in that panel i've got a metric for you and that mm -hmm. is how often do you litigate against your own customers and I think that this should be like a this should be featured at like a public company should have to say how frequently they litigate against their own customers. And this is something that Oracle does all the time. This is something that Cadence does all the time. This is something that actually and maybe maybe Red Hat does do it all the time. I'm actually, they I'm, do. They do. And that, I did too. Oh my Jeff God. did. Like I had totally had to. 
if I didn't go to customers and be like, hey, you owe me more money, they would, it's not like they were volunteering. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I think, I, I'm not sure that the level of litigation against their customers goes down. I think, I think it's, it's tenor changes because you're, the, the customer has a, has an option that they maybe didn't That's otherwise good. have. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the pursuit of the dollar, I think is probably roughly the same. You know? Yeah. But the, but this yeah. Sorry, into my thought that, like, from the open source perspective, it it hasn't changed it. It's just sublimated it. And I I won't do any more psychoanalysis babble or anything. But the idea wow. is that like it's taken the same like behavior pattern, but it's like thrown a layer of abstraction on it, so it's slightly harder to point at, which actually kind of makes it more insidious. Like one of the bit. words that you mentioned that really struck with me and I was thinking about like what I was going to talk on this panel today and like the thing that's like stuck with me was that like and maybe this is also my Roman Catholic upbringing but like open source like is really what taught me that ambition is a sin Um, (laughs) which is that like the the only way to like get a monopoly now I think in tech in many ways is to do open source and do what is functionally the standards grab and so I think in many ways, like, I think that's what the CNCF does in many ways. Um, but like, that that's what I think it is. And I think it's just that it's become slightly more socially acceptable to take that path for now. And then once it isn't, there'll be like a new layer of abstraction that we throw on top of it. But the same underlying motivations will remain. So Which is the, kind of is not it, the baby Ashley <laughs> optimism. So open source is kind of a way, it's a, it's a palate cleanser for world domination. That you are, the world domination is actually acceptable in yeah. an open source vehicle. Is that a, is that a fair That's way? That's right. It's like world domination with like extra okay. cameras. Yeah, yeah, and, and the big coasts have harnessed this uh, to wrap their otherwise, a lot of the same things that they were doing with this morality. Oh, 100%. A competitor comes in, I drop my price to zero. The SEC is very interested in that. If instead I have this open source product that I'm giving away, it it changes the tenor of that completely. Totally. And if you look at like. That was the other thing monopolies, but also the price fixing. Like open source is price fixing at zero. Yeah, totally. There's like a. (laughs) The Microsoft does this now. They launched a. um, They launched a thing called Radius, which is like a DevOps infrastructure is Cody platformy tool. It's I don't think it's particularly interesting as technology. But that they did it like they launched it as an open source project, right? It clearly competes with a bunch of existing both open source and proprietary things, including things inside Microsoft's own house, right? And like and it has like clear and obvious monetization hooks that lead you into Azure or or other places. And mm-hmm. like, you know, they've figured out that you know, if that was a proprietary thing that they had launched, they would have looked like they were bullying people around in their own ecosystem. But, you know, slap an open source license on it, say they're going to give it to the CNCF. Next thing you know, like, we're all, it's all, it's all good in the hood, right? Like, we're all friends here, right? Um, and like, you know, mm-hmm, sure. Friendly. <laughs> That's right. And, and they're yeah, pulling yeah. up the ladder, um, you know, on from other startups that might want to enter that space. Oh, for because sure. Because all of a sudden I can throw a thousand engineers working for zero revenue and just monetize it in these, in these other products. 
So oh. is this, Adam, is this the 2023 equivalent of the vaporware announcements from the 90s? I mean, is that because the Microsoft famously would do this? They would announce things that they didn't have to kill startups. Um, <laughs> I think it's I, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's actually I think it's actually more innocent than that. I think it's literally it, Google does this all the time, too. Like, you know, there's a good idea. And then like there's a googly take on that idea. And then they're like, obviously, the googly take is a better one because it's Google, you know? And I think Microsoft's the same. And then now there's a vehicle for getting those ideas to sort of to to feel like they're wrapped in a giant Careberry hug, you know? Which is, we open sourced them and we gave them to a foundation, you know? And like, it's the motivations for doing it are, I, I'm not sure how much they've changed, but they're wrapped in a layer of of principle that makes them more palatable to everyone, right? Um, and and I'm not sure how principled they actually are most of the time. I didn't know about I didn't know about this vaporware pattern, um, but mm. I will certainly say that while I haven't seen companies necessarily do this, I have seen open source foundations release functionally nothing under the name yeah. of land grabbing it for collaboration so that it doesn't result in competition in the ecosystem. So I've seen that a lot. And that is definitely a way that they try to crush competition. That that has definitely happened. I'm sure people Okay, so let me ask you this, Ashley. Because <laughs> the, the that's really interesting. I would love to get the details. I would be very curious to know uh what fraction of them were the LF. Um I mean I can sort of gesture at Rust Async. No, oh, interesting. Okay, I want. Well, let's. Uh, I'm probably in huge trouble for saying that now, but I mean that's. There's definitely a big like. This but is you're a not pattern wrong. In, Rust in total, like Rust kind of went. I mean, in many ways, I think you know everything is like uh, ebb and flow, and so they went. They reacted really hard one way, and the idea of like building something out in the ecosystem and not like fully collaborating all on one thing—that's the official thing—is kind of seen as bad. Um, and so like early on Rust, like kind of, even though it's not in the standard library, the standard library is small or whatever, it did stake out a bunch of things and like sit people as like leads, um, in those places to try and like keep them from being ecosystem driven parts of the project. Hmm. And do you see foundations doing this with other kind of broader technologies? I mean, is this part of a broader pattern, do you think? Um, because... And let me so let me ask this because the the thing that, that incubator a, programs and foundations, I sometimes the foundations are not operationally efficient enough for me to assume that they're doing it in a strategic way, but sometimes it ends up having that impact anyways. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair. The, 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 and this is I I think I mean it's always a good idea to ascribe things to incompetence that you're tempted to ascribe to malice. So I mean that's yeah. like whoops, sorry, we accidentally like did I. Did I kill this other community over here? Sorry about that. Um, the so one thing that is interesting about this kind of hashy thing is that it is increasingly clear that they are drawing a battle line against the LF, and the and that is going to be a weird narrative to unfold because that's something we have not seen happen. We have not seen a company go to war with a foundation. And first of all, do you see the same thing? And like, is that because one question I definitely have for for you both is like, what the anti patterns are going to be? Sort of the, like, what are we going to come back a decade from now and talk about with respect to the new anti patterns? Actually, we'll say that to the end. I should not. I don't, don't want to get too far. Yeah, ahead of ourselves. It's a pretty good question. I 
Look, the lin- I'm I'm totally here for I don't I don't this is my personal opinion, which I'm sure is going to get me in trouble in some future point in my life. But I think in general the Linux Foundation and the CNCF more specifically, I don't think that they've always been great actors for the entirety of their ecosystem. I think that they are great actors for the people who pay them the most and they're incredible vehicles for funneling the the hopes and dreams of those of those large organizations into collaboration and software which is great or whatever that like in many ways it's great but like i wouldn't say that they're like necessarily positive actors in a lot of cases and i think you know if you're a hashicorp i think the i think i think the problem with hashicorp was deeper than than HashiCorp talks about. I think the shape of their business and its inefficiency is is for real. And I have an anti-pattern that I will declare there that I think that whole model of building open core companies is is like broken and sort of irretrievably so perhaps. Can um, we talk about that? Is now the time to talk about that? Because that is something you mentioned in the panel. I think that is a really important point. And it kind of gets to this advice. Because Adam, you're talking about people reach out to me for advice and they kind of ignore it. Um, what kind of questions are they asking you? Because I imagine people are asking you, hey, I've got this open source project. It's pretty popular. Yeah. I'm thinking about this open core model. What do you, Adam Jacob, think about that? Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, what I get a lot of is just, we have this thing. How do we how do we think about open source with in relationship to our business? How do we, what's the right model to think about it? Um, I try not to like be a pedant about the fact that open source is in a business model, yada, yada, yada. So with that out of the way, We'll just call them business models because it's easier. I think the what I see and have seen more and more of and becoming more and more convinced of is that we essentially think about open source as a vehicle for setting the product price, the acquisition cost of the product to zero, um, which is basically what Open Core does. So you give away a ton of value um, for nothing. Um, and then you create some barrier artificially somewhere else upon which some segment of the market will want that value plus some other kind of value you can add into it. And that's where you sort of draw the line for the for open core. There's other definitions of open core that are, I think, functionally useless. So just go with mine. But like, I like yours. Yours is good. But but that biz that model of like how do we do it? That's that was HashiCorp's model. It was MongoDB's, it was Confluence, it was it on and on and on, right? Um, Chef. Like um and What's wrong with that model is the part from a business point of view, forget about the open source part of view for a second, is that the most valuable thing you do, you set the price at zero. So there's something that the product does that's amazing. Terraform. So cool. Does something awesome. And you've said it's worth nothing. Right? Um, and then not only is it worth nothing, you gave it, you gave away the source code to it too. And the entire product process, the entire pipeline that brings that product into the world, you gave that away for free too. And it's the exact same thing that you will receive uh, if you just hang out in open source land. Ubuntu is the perfect example of this. Ubuntu had a strategy. Simon Wardley very famously talks about how he guided this strategy for Ubuntu to take over adoption in the cloud. Ubuntu, far and away the most used operating system in cloud providers by a huge margin. Ubuntu struggling very hard to come anywhere close to the level of monetization that SUSE has in operating systems, right? So number one with a bullet, total utilization. Number four, probably, in monetization with a bullet, right? And struggling. And 
That's because Ubuntu took the core of their product and they gave it away for free. And over the years, they've been tinkering around the edges, trying to figure out what else they can convince you to pay for. And the answer is nothing. You want nothing from them, right? There's nothing of value, really, that you want from them. Au contraire, my friend. I um, would like Juju. You do not want Juju. No one wants Juju, right? And What is Juju? I, sorry. Uh, another I, configuration I, management thing. It was Juju. the first time I went to Barcelona, actually, was to try to convince them to use Chef and not build Juju, and it did not work. Um, anyway. You, 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 want to build a, you don't want to rephrase Chef in terms of Juju charms? I did. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I tried. It didn't work. Anyway, so when I say that model is broken, what I mean is that at, from a business point of view, you create this incredibly difficult problem, which is you're hanging all of your monetization on this very inefficient, uh, this very inefficient monetization vector. What it's good for is that you open sourced it, and it causes this humongous lift. So when you open source it, and you get other people to use it, and they go create value. So they do use Ubuntu, and it like gets into their whole environment. And Ubuntu is great. People talk about it, and they share it with each other. And all of a sudden, there's way more people using Ubuntu than you ever could have convinced to use Ubuntu if it wasn't available to them for free. But then you have to convince those people to pay you, and you can't. And right. if you become a public company like HashiCorp, um or like mongodb then you inevitably look at that sales pipeline and you look at the number of people who are using your software to get benefit you look at what you receive from people who contribute back which is almost nothing and and you go wait a second if we could convert let's say we lost uh 80 of the terraform market it just evaporated if that 80 percent was the open source part the part where people used it for zero dollars but they got 20% of that large Terraform market to start paying them for Terraform Enterprise or Terraform Cloud, that is a fucking good quarter. Yeah? Right. And that might like, even be the calculus. In as much as there is a calculus inside of HashiCorp, that might even be the calculus. Oh, not so might. Adam, it is the calculus. Absolutely. The calculus. But Adam, to pick up this example, do you think, I mean, let, let's say, do you think Terraform is successful as a non-open source product? Like, do you think that they, if, if they can take that route without being open source from the jump? At the size that they are now, I believe that they can be successful at doing that because people already recognize what Terraform is. HashiCorp can set the price at whatever they want to, and some large number of it'll be zero, right? They'll have slower growth, perhaps, than they had before. It opens the door for more Pulumi growth or whatever. Um, but, but, but it'll work. I, from the jump, though, I'm not sure they could have, right? I think... I think the size of that open source community, the work that like Kelsey Hightower did, that lift that happens from being open source is so powerful. And I don't know how to replicate it in a way that is proprietary. Um, I know how to replicate the business model of selling enterprise software. That's what Red Hat does. So what Red Hat does is they open source all the software, but under no circumstances can you get their product for free. Yeah. So you can take the software and do what you want with it, but you can't get it from Red Hat. If you want it from them, you must pay them something. Um, even if they set that number at low, Ansible is $0, for example. But it's like only Red Hat gets to make Ansible, right? Um, and I think the... And so, Adam, is that your answer for like, okay, like open core is a disaster. So what do I do instead? What I do instead is if, I, if, I'm, if software is the vector, I am charging for the product. The product is open source, but it's the, the or rather... The software is open source. The product the is software. absolutely proprietary. Yeah. yeah interesting. And... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I think we should start shifting people to. Um, and I think the evidence that tells you that that's a more efficient monetization vector is pretty clear um, in a bunch of different scenarios. You look at like 
Kubernetes monetization. Red Hat's got a billion dollars in ARR. If if in case you don't know, it's really hard to get a billion dollars in recurring revenue. Like it is really rare. HashiCorp, right. public company, nowhere close, right? Somewhere what they're hovering in the four twenties, I think, in ARR. Something um, like that, yeah. And, and then a like lot that. and a lot of that is services and support. Across a bunch of different product lines, yeah. right? Meanwhile, Red Hat, OpenShift, $1 billion in ARR and growing rapidly, right? On software they didn't create, that a foundation runs, right? That what they do is curate an enterprise product that they can, you know, produce and support and test and integrate and like do all of the Red Hat-y things. You can go get that exact product for free from somebody who's not Red Hat, but you won't because you can't run that product in Morgan Stanley, (laughs) right? Morgan Stanley doesn't want a product that comes from like Bob in France, right? But is like, that another way of what you're paying? So what you're paying for is brand, but you're also paying for services. You're paying for support. You're paying for the that, that someone's going to stand by this thing. Is that what you're ultimately? I, I feel like supply chain security. You're right, paying, yeah, yeah, right, you're exactly. paying for development yeah. time, engineers, expertise. You're paying for the product to be vended to you in the same way that like you know you're the iPhone. I like I don't just get the software, right? If he just gave me all the software that runs the iPhone, it doesn't mean shit to me, right? What I want to do is go to a store, buy an iPhone, make a phone call, right? Um, but that's like, not a really fair analogy, is it, Adam? Because like there, you're talking about something physical that I couldn't replicate at home. Whereas, I mean, uh, this is the argument of every software engineer that I've ever had to explain this to instantaneously. <laughs> They're like, "Well, but Adam, if I, I have the software, I can do whatever I, I can go. do it." And the answer is, sure, you can, kind of, except. You also do actually want to know, like, who produced that software you're running? Where did it come from? How did? How are they going to patch it? Do you know that they're going to do that? Uh, what's the What's the agreement you have with them if there's a problem and you need to repair it, and there's a priority one issue? Is it just like, and like on and on and on? So like, software engineers tend to overvalue the shape of the software and the total arc of the product. But there's a ton of evidence that tells you that actual consumers, people who buy software, even in the large enterprise don't particularly care for the software. They don't want the software. They want a product they can run. They want a problem they can solve. And if you charge them money for that problem, they will buy it. Uh, and if so, you, yeah. So on the Terraform example, so, you know, we roll back the clock. Yeah. You know, M- Mitchell, you know, doesn't put it up on GitHub, does put it on, on GitHub, but regardless, the way it's brought to market is not yeah. with us freeloaders, but rather yeah. as a packaged product that, oh, by the way, it happens to be open source, but you, Morgan Stanley, of course, like you want to buy the product. Yeah. I, if, if, if it was me, I, what I would have done, what, or now what I know to have done, I wouldn't have done it then. Cause I didn't know this then, but like, I think the, the answer there is HashiCorp builds Terraform. Terraform is a product that they use their trademark and their distribution terms to set up a proprietary distribution of much in the way that like VS code is a proprietary distribution. The software itself is open source, but if you wanted to take Terraf- take that source code, Terraform, and not pay for the privilege of using the Terraform product that's built by HashiCorp, what you have to do is take that thing and fork it. You got to call it, you know, AHL, and you got to like have AHL become your propri- your version of Terraform. And you could decide that that's a f- that's a license in, license out version. And the and all of those things, and you can collaborate with them in the upstream. But what you can never get is Terraform for free. Um, and if they'd done that, they'd have been monetizing all along at a at a significantly better rate. 
Um, All right, so I got it. So my counter to that would be that not everything can be monetized to the same degree. Not everything. So in particular, like if you have, if you, if, sure. if, if you, you cannot take bash and turn right. that into. But that's because like, bash is not particularly valuable at this point. Right, and I think right. somebody I, asked I would argue that Terraform the panel is much about like a that. hash table. They were like, "How can I monetize my hash table?" I'm like, "You can't." No right. one gives a fuck about your hash table. But that's not an open source business model problem. That's a, this software has no value as a product problem, right? Like, we're just not willing to pay money for that problem, right? So, Ashley, this, so it's something actually, now we're going to get really spicy because you worked well, for another company that was attempting to monetize a space that really wasn't clearly monetizable in terms of NPM. Well, this um, is very funny because I wasn't sure if you were about to ask me what my plans are to monetize the tools that I'm currently building that are kind uh, no, of similar. I, I do that to be very good. That, that would be very good, frankly. It's certainly something that I'm paying attention to and I think is important. Um, I guess the thing I'll start with is I don't think the package management space is unmonetizable. I just think that the way NPM went about doing it was terrible um so, okay, like so i will take the other side of that i mean these are these are not our favorite products but like artifactory exists sonotype exists like there there are people who are taking your packages and are putting them places and then delivering them to you and they are making a lot of money mm -hmm. um but npm didn't making, do that. yeah so i guess so that, that's kind of my question is like because artifactory is a, it's a, I mean, it's a smaller business than I think NPM had eyes on being. Certainly than NPM's investors thought they were going to become. NPM's investors would have done backflips if they could have been Artifactory. Yeah, I know way so much. I feel like I've been competing with Artifactory my whole life. It's so weird. <laughs> are, we, so are, are we in like a rom-com with Artifactory somehow? Or this is like... I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. But I mean, Artifactory has surprisingly large contracts is what I will tell you. Um, oh, I think okay. that you'd be surprised. Like literally, Apple uses Artifactory, and Apple doesn't like using third-party things very much. So yeah, um, JFrog's, JFrog's twenty twenty-two fiscal revenue was two hundred and eighty million, thirty-five percent year-over-year increase. That's primarily Artifactory, and that yeah. would uh, yeah, you're right. NPM would have killed for that kind of revenue. So Absolutely. the okay, so <laughs> so actually, you say the space is is monetizable. And and indeed, that it's only becoming more so now that like the I mean, Adam already mentioned like the supply chain, like the supply chain of your supply chain. I mean, I love recursion, right? Anyways, it, it's becoming very very profitable. I think like where the software comes from, where you're storing it, how you're delivering it, like is very important. I think. There were a couple of problems with with NPM's approach, and I was the little baby communist that I spoke of in the panel when I joined NPM, and so I I met a lot of like harsh realities very quickly working there. Um, is that going to be a is that going to be like a dramatized series on Hulu at some point? I, I just really want to go watch that. I just have this image of you. That this is you know. A, a, uh, who who plays you, by the way, in the dramatization? Have you already hey, kind of figured that I'm out? I'm not sure, but I, I'll take suggestions. That would be very interesting. But I think that this this kind of dovetails back to what Adam was saying, and I, I do think was a problem, and I, I don't think I signed an NDA at NPM. Anyways, it's all water under the bridge now, <laughs> so old. Um, but uh, like one of the biggest problems, I think, if your company has like an open source tool 
somewhere in it. I don't know. Maybe it's at the core. Maybe it's more to the side. I, th- I think the key thing is that you can't be building two things. Like you can't be building like mm-hmm. your product that you're trying to sell people. And then like also the open source. Um, I think there needs to be like a story about how those are the same, because if you end up building out two things and that's what NPM was doing, like NPM enterprise was like a complete fork of the entire thing. Um, like you're okay, undercutting that's a really yourself. Interesting you have, yeah. You have like yeah, a conflict I, of interest with yourself. Like we were competing internally. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it was very well, we strange. Was and, awful. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of companies do this. I don't think this is just NPM. Like I don't want to throw shade just on them. I think I've seen mm-hmm. it in a lot of places. Um, but that's I mean, definitely the thing. did this with Atlas, right? I mean, Atlas is still not open source, I don't think, right? Was Atlas ever opened? You're talking about MongoDB Atlas? Uh, HashiCorp Atlas, right? <laughs> Everyone's got an Atlas, you know. It's great. The uh, so, uh, yeah, but uh, so actually, elaborate on this. Well, I determined if HashiCorp Atlas is actually a thing or some fever fever dream that I had. Um, a lot of products, and I cannot keep them keep track of them. But like, I don't know. So this is like potentially really embarrassing, and I can only hope that some VCs that I like had this anguished conversation with like hear this and like. I somehow become redeemed. But like for a long time trying to figure out what I was going to do at AXO, the thing that I was really stressed about was I was like, damn it, you can't sell software. The only thing you can sell is infrastructure. <laughs> like, so I'm just going to have to like take the software and then I'm going to have to like figure out infrastructure that's really hard for people to build and then like sell them that and then we'll run our, our code on it. Um, but so actually repeat that. You can't sell people software. You can only sell them infrastructure. Am I that play that yeah, back correctly? The other thing that I will say, that that is what I said. Maybe that's not right. And like the thing I was really, and I can't say company names about this, but I had worked for companies that were doing this same kind of plan, ostensibly very high valuation companies. Um, and just like depending on who your infrastructure provider is, like the margins here aren't the margins that people anticipate in software companies, yeah. right? Because everybody's yeah developer experience product is an abstraction layer on top of somebody else's abstraction layer. And so we're all just like eking out like pennies on the dollar on top of somebody else's slightly harder to use thing. Um, and I feel like there's like a tragedy there in that like, can't we be building something greater maybe? Um, and anyways, I spent, a while, I spent a while like, just, I was like, I'm going to take some calls with VCs and like, you're not supposed to take calls with VCs that like aren't invested in you and like try and have a brainstorm session. Um, I'm just like a dumb little baby. Um, but I was like, I don't want to sell infrastructure. Is there like any other option? And it's like, no, not really. Um, and it's hard. And like the trick is that VCs are always attracted, I feel like, to software companies because of these like amazing margins that you can get. But yes. now that we're on this like developer experience layer on infrastructure on top of layer of infrastructure like move like how that turns into a super high margin business um i don't know there's certainly some some creative work to do there um probably around, along the lines of what adam's talking about with like the productization and that stuff does absolutely definitely matter um yeah i mean we literally but, haven't really talked about like as a like as a community in venture like the amount of time i spend just educating people on choices just like okay here's this here's a situation you know the situation is that your software is in the apache foundation and you want to build a proprietary thing what do you do and how do you think about that or what should you what's the move and like why like what are the comps you know what other companies can you see like those conversations Mm -hmm. don't happen that much right and 
and mostly you just follow the the herd which is totally what you're saying it's like well right the herd would launch on top of a cloud provider you know even you see people like like i don't know where railway is running right now but i bet they're running a lot of that stuff in AWS, right and when you imagine a business like that running on aws you're like that cannot last right there's no way that they can pay margin on top yeah, of there's no way that's going to work margin. with that. I mean, the rental model of compute, you have to own your own. Some only there were another way. If only there was another way. Like this is the thing I always said about Cloudflare. Like the reason Cloudflare I think works so well is everyone's like Cloudflare's like we're not a DNS company. I'm like, nope, they're not. They're a hardware company. <laughs> like the reason totally. Cloudflare can make a shit ton of money is because they own metal all over the world. <laughs> um, yeah. Like the more people who use it, the more money they make. Whereas for everybody else, the more you use it, the more your bills are. But this um, is the same. Which is this is the same thing with open source monetization, right? It's the exact same problem today. Like I said the other day on Twitter, what I thought was a very unspicy take, which is like DHH, who's not like a great person or whatever, but he like posted how much money he's saving with his Elasticsearch cluster, and I'm like, he's absolutely saving that much money. And the number of people who replied to me like, no, he's not. You don't know how to calculate total cost of ownership. And like, mm, like really? just going around and around and around with me about how like you couldn't possibly run a search cluster as good as Amazon runs a bad search cluster for you. I'm like that. You're insane. It's insane. We've just we've got amnesia. And, well, and, and, and I mean, also, like, can we all please tip the hat to capitalism's apex predator, Jeff Bezos? for 100%. Having- like giving what? people this this kind of learned helplessness. Oh, what that, a like, move! Oh, what a move! Oh, man. Just and, a glorious thing. Yeah. But like, it's what's happening in open source too. When we talk about open source monetization, the same thing's happening. What do you do to op- to monetize an open source company? Poor Ashley, she's gonna go. She's going talking to venture capitalists. They ought to know better. They're like, what other moves do I have? They're like, I don't know. Those are the only moves we know. Only moves we see. So. You know, that's what they told me. They basically were like, and we were saying no. And I wasn't, I was like, I wasn't even asking you for money. Oh, I do. Oh, isn't it great? I love it when people pass on you and you don't even ask. I like getting denied when I didn't even ask. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't ask. Yeah. But it's just, here's the thing. And and you asked me to channel baby communist Ashley here. So, like, I want there to be a world. And maybe this is because I'm just like, I learned how to write software and I think it's really cool to write software and I'd love to like be able to pay for like my cost of living with it. Like, do we all just have to start buying up computers all over the world? Or like, <laughs> what's what's our answer here? Like software, like, and is software like not monetizable because open source like did we just price fix it to zero like is this something that yes. it's not just like something that happened or is it something that we made happen no, and we now did. we have to we like did figure out what to do? Yeah, no, we, we, did. Did. we did it to ourselves we yeah okay. but it was, it, well we it, but it was gonna happen i mean it was inevitable so the, i mean i don't think it was inevitable well, we can fucking undo it tomorrow anybody by just deciding at the beginning of open source did anyone when open source was like starting to happen like go like hey like you're about to screw yourself. Was, were the, yeah, was there any sure. like well, so no, I mean, during so, that time? <laughs> no, no. So what you had is you had this era of proprietary software companies, and their disposition towards open source varied. And you had people like Microsoft at kind of one extreme that spent a lot of time and spilled a lot of ink talking about how open source is going to be the end of days. And but the folks that were actively disrupting those folks rightfully said, like, no, actually, you're sorry, you're delivering an inferior product to people at a price that's too high. 
And open source actually allows people to get out from underneath the natural monopolies you have on your customers. So it was because kind of demand side where people rightfully kind of generated all that energy. It is ironic to me that you have these then people that are very much born in that open source era that now then realize like, wait a minute, like, what about me? What, how do I become a proprietary yeah. software company? And, and, and the, it's the like, problem, we, we didn't like, when we, back in that era, we didn't talk about the fact that like the monetization vector for our software, like was, was like, we all got high on the principles. And so there was like a group of people who were the lift of mm -hmm. open source and the lift of what it could do for other people is so powerful that it makes up for bad for a bunch of inefficient, bad models. And the, that, that lift is very unmeasurable. You can't really, you can't put it in a spreadsheet. And so like, I think when we say that open source sort of broke it, I think what happened is it did break it. And what, what broke it was, we now know that this open source lift is real. When you build something valuable and you let other people also create value in their lives with that thing in whatever way they need to to make their lives better, they do it and it becomes more, uh, it becomes better than it was before. It becomes stronger. It goes wider in the world. All those things happen. Um, but we like, but as soon as we decided that what we were doing was disrupting incumbent players we cut the price in half right like chef and puppet did this we were such dummies like blade logic was selling at 10 times the price that chef and puppet were right and and because we were open core companies we set the price for our products so low because the alternative was ourselves at zero dollars and like it was just it was dumb it was bad business but it was also bad open source strategy because none of those things are now sort of I would, I would, I would argue that probably most people aren't happy with how those open source communities are being managed at this point because they were bought and sold and sent to other people and right, like no shade on any of the acquirers. Anyway, it's just. So I, I think so to actually to answer your question about like how do we do it? What does it mean? So I do think, and I made this point in my deck, and uh, the, it, my my co-founder Steve Doc is here, a point that he we try to make to venture capitalists, but they don't like to listen is that you are fixated on gross margin when you should be thinking about net margin. And yeah. VCs don't want, they don't want to focus. No one wants to talk about net margin. Like the people who want to talk about net margin are people that That's run That's what like, my conversation with those investors was, was about net margin. And I got like totally no, they, they, they glaze over. And <laughs> the reason they like glaze over is like, look, VCs are building to flip. Uh, th this is the... This is the, the, the challenge with this model is that you are ultimately building the flip. You are building the company to sell it. And you are either going to sell it to the public if things go really well, or you're going to sell it to a private company if things go well, or you're going to sell it to the creditors if things don't go so well. So you, but you are ultimately, you are not actually, and, and these VCs, you know, all the VCs that have, you know, the Apple placard up on the wall or the Google placard up on the wall, they actually sold Apple when it was at one one thousandth of 1% of its current value. And they had to because they had to actually, they've got a fund with a limited lifetime. And so what they are looking at, so they will, and I think this is where, and, and Adam, you and I strongly agree that it is the entrepreneurs ultimately to blame. All the entrepreneurs have to be responsibility, not the VCs. But they, you need to be aware of what the, the model is around a venture funded business. And a high growth, high margin, high gross margin business is catnip to the next person you need to sell it to. It is not sustainable. So VCs will have you build HashiCorp and they will have you IPO it. 
and you will be now a five billion dollar company. Well, I guess Adam, Adam, are we sub we four? Can, sub four now, but yeah, or exactly. It's like the scene in airplane. It's like now arriving, like gate going down thirteen, gate twelve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the they they are at evaluation that that cannot hold in terms of what they're actually in terms of the actual business. If they had focused on net margin earlier, they would have built a smaller business that is sustainable. And I think that we do not focus. Uh, we, you let VCs pump a ton of money, and then when well, they, they pump a ton of money in you, they want to see growth. I and then mean, they, there are new know, VC man. firms out there, like that are focusing on this. But I also think, and I do want to step back because I, I don't want us to be bashing on VCs too much, or even entrepreneurs, because I think this ambition is part of open source, and everyone who participates Early. in it, whether or not they have a company or, not. and. I like. I don't think the ambition is terribly different. No, and I think I'm it's like I'm pro ambition regardless. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm going to say, all right, I will take the other side of that. I think when you got ambition, but without the kind of the the massive investment, um, then you then you're like Lua or Curl, and great, good for you. I mean, it's like you no, you just end wait. up being ubiquitous in the substrate as opposed to Kristen, uh, Brian. I actually don't know this about you, Brian. Have you ever had an open source project and like it was very, very popular and no one would give you money to work on it? No. Because I, I mean, have. no, I don't think. And I don't know. It's, Do I? it's, it's like a trap. <laughs> it's not a trap. It's just like I I feel like there there should be an empathy for that position somewhere in this conversation, and it feels a lot like the ambition of say like an open source company that doesn't build like a slow, thoughtful business strategy, ends up wildly successful with a massive customer base and absolutely no way to fund it. And that's a story okay, that happens in open source all the time. All the time. Like, yeah. like just okay, for yeah. individuals, so, it happens to me multiple times. And here's the thing, they will bash you as the maintainer the same way we're bashing the VCs right, right now. And in a certain way they're right because your sin was ambition. <laughs> And I've I mean, gotten my ass kicked by this so many times. Yeah, and I think there's a there. Look, we should have. I have empathy for everyone involved. Like what Brian was just saying about net margin, like it's true in that, like, like ultimately, you need to become a profitable company. The mar the the actual marker of your of your profit is net profit. But like the when you when you're playing the venture capital growth game, often if you're if you're running net profit but the growth numbers aren't as high as they could be that's an that that's a bad way to spend their money and because you could be yeah. growing quicker and like if you want to see what happens when vcs start to care about net profit get to a place where the growth starts to slow and your arr number is creeping up toward 100 million dollars and next thing you know every board meeting you're having is about net profit margin so like you know, for sure, it, but only it, because they want to flip again. Like they're trying to flip ultimately, which is fine. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not faulting them for it, but it's like they've got a limit. Yeah, they need to flip. I, it. I, but also, like as an entrepreneur, you'll want to too because there's all these people who have stock, and you're going to try to get them as much money as you can, right? Because they've put their lives behind this thing you're trying to build. So, like, I, I just like. I very much wind up on the entrepreneur end of that argument. I think venture capitalists are what they are, and we sort of, you know you know what they are and you know what their business model is. And if you don't, you can find out and they're pretty, there's certainly bad actors who will, who will 
not tell you the truth about what they're looking for. But most of them will, especially if you say, like, I know what you are. And I think to Ashley's point about, like, you know, if you have a big popular open source project and that success runs away with you, like, it's difficult to figure out after the fact what the right thing to do is to sort of get yours. And you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like if you're like, hey, I've built this massively popular open source project, everybody's using it. They hate me because I'm not like building it fast enough or whatever. I'm having trouble like making ends meet. Um, it's pretty difficult at that moment to decide like, oh, crap. Like, now what do I do? Like, how do I how do I get mine? Like, how do I support these people? And like when when we don't, we wind up in this like interesting burnout cycle. And when we talk about sort of the complexity of open source and we talk about open source and capitalism, that angle, I think, is the is the is the one I have the most empathy for because those people are putting in great work, incredible effort, often very load-bearing effort, and we just cannot figure out how to get them paid at all. Okay, and like, but, but but really, I mean, I so okay. I think that we, I, I mean, we say getting mine. I don't know exactly what that means, but in terms of, I mean, if it's, if we are actually talking about like putting food on the table, and it'd be kind of interesting to know. It's like so Postgres yeah. is an example where. For many, many years, this isn't, this isn't true. There was not a there was not a company that was built around Postgres. Right. Uh, ultimately, like Citus was built on Postgres, and but they had a bunch of stuff that that was not part of Postgres, and then ultimately exited to Microsoft. But like, I mean, Tom Lane and 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 Josh Burkus and all those folks. I mean, like, I I, I don't know. Were they and maybe they were like struggling to eat. I don't know. I mean, it it, it feels like they. I don't think they were buying houses in the Bay Area. It, sure, but it, I mean, I guess that that's kind of Brian, the question: you know is like, what is the part? Is? Who's whose Substack like is? Yes, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. no, I had to like, I, I, I had to like go through my my 2011 time machine for sure. Sorry, yeah, but Substack is the picture, the XKCD that somebody posted here, and like, I mean, I know a lot of folks that have created an immense amount of value. And have not been able to recoup it. Um, and I guess I kind of want to pop the stack a little bit. Only because like we talked about open source businesses behavior. And like the goal of the LF and popularizing like open source was like to get companies to use it. I think a real question is, is just like. How do we get more open source companies to like exist or is the idea that like we don't want that to happen because like i do think we're seeing like a consolidation in open source that is like amplifying the problem that we are talking about okay hot take i think it's fine if fewer of them exist <laughs> i think okay. it's actually okay i and i think it might even be good for ball if fewer of them exist and i think that if if mongo had never been turned into a company or Redis had never been turned into a company, I it would have been fine. And I think that I, it, that and, and I I, I kind of look at evidence of that. It's like it's not a there's not a company around Python. It's not a company around Perl. It's not a company around Apache. So Brian, some of those there may be different. Like, Anaconda. Uh, anyways, okay. it, it like like everyone likes to use Red Hat as their example of successful open source companies. But I, I remember feeling in the early two thousands that Red Hat was almost conjured out of existence because it needed to exist. That is to say, there were all these financial services companies at the time who were deploying Linux, 
who wanted someone to yell at when it broke. And oh, if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been, okay, go for it. I think that that uh, Red Hat needed Spark to exist. And X86. <laughs> oh, it fully did because that's why, yes, of yeah. course it did. The, I mean, like Red Hat, like, the, the, I mean, the greatest lie the devil ever told is that this this machine, this Linux machine is outperforming the Solaris but, machine. But our, it, but our actual it, sin here with Red Hat, Adam, is that is that when we talk about Red Hat as an open source success, we always talk about anything but their business model. We talk about the mm. circuit, the market circumstances. We're always like, well, in these circumstances, they could pull it off. In these circumstances, it was okay. It was because they had IBM. It's because Solaris was overcharged. Sun was overcharging for Spark. It's because this. It's Spark because that. Dog. Because this. I mean, other if, thing. if Spark and x86 flip roles, yeah. mean, x86 was just like it was cheaper and faster and better. I yeah, mean, and, like- and all that's real. And also, they also happened to figure out. By accident, I think, but but they did figure out the most efficient way to monetize the lift that you get from building massive open source communities. They've done it over and over and over again. And whenever anybody says, well, why don't we do that? The answer is always, well, you don't have the market circumstances to let you do it. Now you're just selling support. Now you're doing this. Now you're doing that. Part of why I don't talk about selling support is that like to Brian's point about VCs only loving that margin? Like they also hate it when you say you sell support. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> right? Yeah, they don't like um, services. They don't, uh, don't like that. They don't, they don't like that. <laughs> um, but if you say you're selling, you know, ARR, if you're selling SaaS revenue, they love. Oh, that. I like that um, now. No, I like that. I like. I like the cut of your chip. <laughs> I like. I like the. I like that reoccurring SaaS revenue. And so the when we talk about Red Hat or we talk about those things, I think you have to separate out the dynamics that meant that the software that they produced or the products that they built were competitive in their in their market which absolutely is true and happened from the business dynamics that allowed them to monetize it at a degree of efficiency and red hat run away it's not just red hat like red hat susa um susa has been public twice now sold like five times or something over over and over again like those companies are really efficient in monetizing in a way that like nobody else is and like larry wall like there was no company around pearl but also like who thinks larry wall got enough money for in relative terms to the impact he had on the industry because i think larry wall probably got the med- I, like i'm sure he's a happy person or whatever i'm actually terrified to meet larry wall so uh, adam has got larry uh, is I, now when we do our larry wall stories adam uh maybe, maybe i need a beer in hand for my larry wall meeting story the, I, suffice I, to say i had the wrong heroes when i was a high schooler <laughs> I'm just, I'm so uh, scared of meeting Larry Wall. I can't do yeah, it. I, justifiably. Let me just be really clear. Yeah. Adam says, honor your fears. Yeah. But I don't think Larry Wall, sure. but I don't think Larry Wall probably got enough. But, for but what that, he that's such did. an interesting concept of like getting yours or getting enough. Yeah. Like just because you've created value for other people, like what entitlement do we have to the value that we've created? No, without right. capturing and now we're talking and, about and greedy, like you, have, you you talk about talk about larry wall it's like he's done he's done great things uh and certainly high school adam leventhal uh believed that he did great things but i'm not sure that he like that i don't know that we owe him anything in particular and i think that the typical path to monetization for folks like that or the traditional one is to be hired by google and i don't know then what you have to do there but maybe that's dried up i mean i think about i think about like mark burgess Mark Burgess in configuration management, infrastructure as code, automation in general. No one's done more to move that 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 art forward than Mark. And like 
And and I'm not saying that he deserves something because he doesn't. He made his choices. He knew what he was doing. I'm an American or whatever, you know. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but but at the same time, like, I don't think we've figured out how to how to help folks who do make who having who have put incredible value into the world they have made it possible for lots of people lots of companies to be successful and to thrive and and how to make sure that those people are taken care of for their work and it's not because we owe it to them to be taken care of but like my career wouldn't exist at all without larry wall right it just wouldn't like if larry wald hadn't written pearl i like i don't think i'd have a career and uh, same with Mark Burgess. If he hadn't written that configuration, the, those early computer immunology papers, like, I don't know what my career would have been. It would have been very different at the very least. And like, I think there's a there's something inside the conversation around open source and capitalism that like, where where because what we're doing is creating software that is limitless as long as you have the compute to run it. it they can go into the world. Anyone can take it. You can do what you want with it. You can read it and understand it. It's such a powerful force. And and yet, if you build something that's truly fantastic and you're not very careful about how you want to monetize that, uh, or if you want to, then it can easily run away with you. And suddenly lots of other people have changed their lives materially and your life is roughly where it was. And that you know, whether it's right or Often wrong, it doesn't always feel particularly fair. Yeah. So one of the ways I like to talk about this, especially when I find myself in what I would call mixed company, because again, baby communist actually got very sad about open source, but remained mostly communist, um, is like you have to think about eco an economy like as an as a technology. And if we were like, think about the free market, the way the people who love the free market think about the free market. They believe that the free market economy is a very efficient technology at distributing resources to the people who can create the most impact with them. And so right. if that's true, then we have a big problem on our hands with this, like this entire conversation would kind of suggest that the economy is broken if that is what it is supposed to be doing. Um. And so I, I loved that we talked, like, we're talking about greediness. And then even this kind of like offhanded, like, language of like, get yours, get mine. Um, but like, I do think it is valuable to try and think about like, what is this work worth? And certainly there seems to be some amount of worth to it because people will spend an immense, immense amount of time on it. Um, yeah. Like there's there's a value here and there's a value that is incredibly difficult to capture, um, which I think is complicated. Yes. And probably like if I if I was smart enough or like had enough capital, like that, that's the problem that I think I'd like to see solved. I wish I don't know, I could go back to school and do like a PhD in economics on this like oh, exact problem. I really yeah, want to do it really badly. This is a call to anybody who would like to fund my PhD. In I mean, this. I think I think open source, as it was in as as invented, and then as it has played out since it was invented, is essentially utilitarian at its core. And I think it has all of the utilitarian failings that happen there. Like the con what is the conception of the good, right? Like what exactly mm -hmm. is it that we mean? What is it we're maximizing when we talk about the utility of something? 
and and why and then like what happens when you know the utility monster comes and it just like it gets more good from the same unit of utility than everybody else does and therefore it deserves all of the yummies you know um and like like we see all of those same philosophical problems inside open source communities and inside open source businesses and i think and I think thinking, I do believe that there's there's something there in the responses in like political philosophy to utilitarianism that 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 perhaps points a finger at how we can think about changing the way open source functions. But you have to start talking again about the conception of the good. Like I say get mine a lot in this conversation and that I was I was doing it to be pointed, right? Like I was mm-hmm. it wasn't an accident. I was saying it that way because I was I was I was poking at it because yeah, like, I did not mean to say it was an accident, by the way. So sorry if it came off that yeah, way. Yeah, it's okay. Not I just wanted to make sure people knew I was doing it on purpose. Like it was an ironic get yeah. mine, please. Yeah. I'm talking about an ironic metaphorical get mine. And and the and but the reason is that like the when you think about like when we think about open source and the utility of it, like I think we do actually need to have a conversation that says, what is what are the what are the goods that come out? the not not goods like stuff goods like in your heart things that are valuable to you us as people that we receive through participation in open source communities it's it's wider than money one of them happens to be money like a reason people participate or that we build these things is for money and but we don't spend a lot of time talking about what those goods are or what the social contract is between us and even Brian in his talk talked about how the social contract is sort of embedded in open source but that social contract is a very utilitarian social contract and and it's problematic um and and it leads i think to a lot of the underlying problems that we've been talking about for the last hour like there there's 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 just a lot of how humans interact with each other and how we behave and what is it we agree on and don't that like that we're playing out that we kind of already know leads to shitty outcomes well, and I think there's a certain degree this is where you get to kind of like the, the the increasing divisiveness, societal divisiveness. And I think that the and maybe this is just maybe I'm actually like full adult communist Brian. Um, but I, I, I think that if you are seeking to capture all the value you create, you're going to live a life of resentment. And, I, totally. I, and especially in open source, you are going to create more value than you capture. And so you need to figure out a way. And, and I think that you, you can't get bent out of shape about that. Um, and I, I think that that's a, you're just going to make yourself miserable if you get, except, I mean, you know, Adam, so, I feel wait, like I'm, I'm going to yeah. poke at this because I think you have to get bent out of shape of it. And, and this is why, and this is coming from my history of assuming that open source was like creating software that literally anyone should be able to contribute to. So when I showed up very classically, it was like, why every, why is everyone here white and a dude? And what I didn't know at the time, but is probably just very functionally true, also like kind of rich, like in the scheme of things, like globally. Like yeah. if we want open source to look more diverse, then we need to be able to guarantee that the value capture is like at least some and like we can't exactly. do yeah, that for sure. For sure. and like I, so i think like it is okay and actually kind of good to get bent out of shape about it because most people can't afford to just like give away a bunch of shit for free yes and 
the when we talk about the distribution of the goods, we talk about like whatever it is that people get out of open source that's valuable to them. We don't set up social contracts that actually talk about the fact that it is not it is we are not all equal in our position relative to that distribution. And yeah. like and because of that, there are circumstances we don't want to find ourselves in. For example, Kelsey Hightower does not want to find himself rug pulled after having spent 10 years being an incredible vocal advocate for HashiCorp, right? He wouldn't have done that for Microsoft for free, right? But he did it for HashiCorp for free because it was open source and he thought he was doing the right thing. And suddenly he was on the wrong side of the line. And like, I think that conversation and that idea that there's a social contract embedded in what we do, like, I, we have to talk more about it if we want to solve the, the more fundamental problem. We can talk about how to solve it in business. It's kind of more clear because the puts and takes are more obvious. But like, but ultimately, it is about saying, like, who gets to participate? What are we willing what are we willing to accept if we don't know like what our position is going to be in relative terms and, and what aren't we? And I think that that conversation is one that I don't really see happening in open source. Yeah, right? I totally agree with you, Adam. And I, 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 I think that when we, cause on, on the flip side of it, when you've got this kind of this avarice in, in companies, it, it, and not because I, I think I, to clarify what I'd said earlier about I, I think it's when you get hung up on on capturing all of the value that you create yeah. that is problematic. Sure. I agree with that. And, and, and because in and then I mean rightfully someone in the chat is like, all right, so when do I get my free oxide rack, Mister? It's like no 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 no. I can do that. The, the the beauty of open source, the beauty of software, is that the cost of goods sold are zero. The cost of goods sold of our rack is not zero. The cost of goods sold because it's a physical thing. It has to live in the real world. Software lives in this unbelievable world that is the mm -hmm. confluence of information and machine. It is truly unique, and it gives us this extraordinary capability to create this massive amount of value with effectively no cost of goods sold. And and as a result, you are not going to capture all of it. And so the question, but but th then I think the flip side is when you have this kind of when people view that as like, oh, great. So these morons are going to create value and I am therefore going to come in and capture all of it. And I am now going to, Adam, to your point, I am now going to rip up the other end of the social contract. And I will actually, I, I the, the the Dave McJanet, I will capture their value. Or, or the CNCF. Wrong. I had this conversation with like, the like, look at the service mess space. Like Linkerd, it's a crime that Linkerd is not a huge company. That was such yeah. a great piece. It's such a great piece of software. It's so good. And it's in the CNCF and everything. And you know who the winner is? Istio. Right. And like, not because it's better, right? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, well, I've got some, yeah, I mean, okay, okay. I've lived that life. I mean, yeah, like, I get it. And, and, Ask and, me about EBPF. Exactly. And so like, what's <laughs> happening in those spaces, like, when we're, when we're talking about it, like uh, it's not that there'd be some better way to pick a winner or whatever, but it's just I don't know that that when the when the folks at Linkerd were deciding what to do and how to orient their business, I'm not sure that they made the right decision by putting that software into that foundation that way, right? I'm not sure that 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 meant that the work that they put in to build that piece of software to make sure other people could run it for zero dollars to move forward the service mess space. Like, I'm not I'm not sure that the rules of the game that they set up 
were the right rules for them, right? Maybe they think they are, but um, but I bet they have regrets. I don't know that they have regrets, but I'd have regrets if I were them. And like, yeah, I ha- I I have regrets that you don't have regrets. I think you should have regrets. So oh, I got so regrets many about? regrets. What if they didn't? What if they're like, you know what? Well, it'd be. I mean, it's like, oh yeah, no, we we created this thing, and like, actually, a bunch of people use it. Um, that the there's a false dichotomy between kind of winners and losers in software because when yeah. you when you create these things, they they, they do survive effectively in perpetuity. Um, folks are asking me in the chat, like, wait a minute, the cost of goods sold is not zero. It, it costs a whole bunch of of like energy to create it. It's like, yes, the cost of goods sold is actually zero. So it doesn't yeah, cost the, 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 the actual, like once you have written it, the cost is zero. And yeah. um, th- this is very unlike anything else we've, I mean, it's more like a movie or a song. It has this, it recorded it, things have this kind of, this, the same attribute. So it, it, Adam, what advice would you, I mean, let's get to some of the advice that you would dispense if you've got, so, you know, either go back in time to whether it's Linkerd. I mean, what advice would you give Linkerd? Um, not not to go to a foundation, perhaps. How, what, what should well, I'll give it to Chef because it's easier because yeah. I lived it and I and I and there's like and there's like I like I can see icons in the chat that like I know. So like I have regrets about the way we ran. I wish I'd known the things I know now when I was running that business then. Um, the regrets I have around it are primarily around the return. Like I think we did a good job of maximizing as much of that return as I could to the people who had put their lives and energy into building it and trying to find a good space for that software so that the community that had been built around it could have a shot at sort of continuing to thrive. I don't know that all those things worked out for the best in the end, but I think the number one thing is that if you want to ensure that your open source community can reach as many people as possible and have the biggest impact possible on their lives, the best way to do that is to be as successful a business as you can possibly be. Because the, what, what makes it possible for you to do all of those things that enable those good things for people is because you're continuing to generate value and, and continuing to be able to fund that value sort of across the horn. If you built a great open source community that was funded on venture capital dollars, that eventually falls apart because to your point about net margin, it can't sustain itself. Like, I don't know that that was, I mean, it's great that the software exists, but it will be fundamentally different. You know, rethink DB is not what it was, you know? And, and I think, and, and, and I think there's a, so that's one thing. The other is that you have to think about your business model as a business model separate from the open source dynamics. So there are dynamics that happen in open source that are a combination of the license, there are copyright holders, there's patents, there's trademark law. The the overlap of all of those things are what create your ability to use open source to impact your business. I think the, and so the situation is different, right? The the folks who took, um, who built Temporal, like had to fork it from Cadence. Uh, Cadence was a thing that that they wrote while they were at Uber. They left. It was open source. They took it. They forked it. Made Cadence. Now the Cadence is what, or Temporal is what the company is, and Cadence is the software they forked it from. And they needed to do that because they needed to own the trademarks for the software that the company they were going to build, right? And then they had to figure out how to collaborate or not with you know the original upstream or or those pieces. So like each each company has their own sort of complicated thing. To me. I really believed that the 
that there was a that the right thing to do was to try to mitigate the tension between the community's needs and what the open source community wanted and believed and what they saw as good both for themselves and for each other and what the company needed and that you were trying to straddle some kind of balance between them and i think that that was a that's a fundamental mistake like in truth they have to be the same thing like if those dynamics are not identical, if what's good for the community is not what's good for the driving monetary force behind the software or the product, then eventually that company is going to do something bad to that community, right? They're yes. just gonna because because the because that there isn't a social contract that's been written down. There aren't really consequences in the way that you imagine there could be because you hurt someone's feelings who has less power than you do. And I think we have to be intentional about how we create those dynamics, um, especially if you're a person like me or like Ashley or like you, Brian or Adam, I, who like is actually emotionally sensitive to, to wanting to actually have the good, valuable part of open source exist in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah very much so. And we just don't do it. Like, we don't talk about that when we talk to entrepreneurs about the open source stuff that they build. We don't say like, hey, how, how do you keep this in line? Like, like System Initiative is Apache licensed because I know that there's people who would consider building on top of System Initiative, but wouldn't um, if I use the GPL. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm pretty sure it should be GPL because then I couldn't rug pull you if I wanted to. Mm, interesting. And so Adam, who is the uh, the model of a company in this regard? If someone's like, all right, I'm a startup. I, I I want a company I can look up to. Who's doing it right? I mean, you have Red Hat only. If you're talking about this from a, not from a always as the best open source actor, but if you're looking at efficient monetization of open source software, it's Red Hat by an incredible margin and everybody else is an also ran. Okay, and then so I say, eh, I think Red Hat was kind of lucky, and I think that they ended up with this kind of critical mass because of this kind of historical... That's what everybody will always say. And then you'll go off and build an open core business, and when that, core, when that business goes public and we look at your books, you're going to be just a twinkle in God's eye of the efficiency yeah. of Red Hat. And you'll explain it away by situation and circumstances, but I don't think it is. I think it's really straightforward. I think... They like there's a reason that they sell products at a higher price point and more of it than their competitors do. Because if the alternative was true, why doesn't Ubuntu win? Ubuntu's everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, it was not that long ago. I guess I I I want to have optimism, but I think I'm I tend to be a little bit more on on Brian's team here. But instead of thinking like, oh, I'll make an open core business and just you know it'll suck or whatever like just it is is there a business model that includes open source in some capacity that works like because there hasn't been another red hat yet there have been Souza, like i said earlier follows red hat's model um chef is now no longer a is now no longer a standalone company but we followed that model and when we did our revenue went up relatively significantly um i think the and 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 it's kind of like asking, you know, like Oxide builds computers. Why hasn't there been a great computer company in a long time, right? And like as evidence of why it is that there shouldn't be a great computer company. Kind of the same. Like the truth is it's because open source is really complicated. Yeah, that's fair. The 
the dynamics of how open source overlaps with how we build product is complicated. Most of the people we talk to don't understand the delta. Like, like it took me many, many years of study and time to understand the distinction between the software license and a distribution license, and that those two things don't have to be the same. I didn't know that that was I like that took a long time to figure out, and like, and and that's like one of dozens of things you need to know in order to think more clearly about how you stack up all the different tools in the tool belt to change the way the model works. So like, and, and at the same time, everybody's just telling you, well, look, it, just because it's inefficient doesn't mean I don't get to be HashiCorp or MongoDB, right? Like MongoDB, Elastic, these are public companies. Everybody made, they're all billionaires, right? You hear Mitchell Hashimoto giving a talk about how they built an incredible company and went public and he's flying an airplane and writing a terminal emulator. And he's like, yeah, open core, bitches. And then, you know, here we are, Oxide and Friends. And I'm like, well, my, my little open source company only got to 89, 80 million in ARR, and then I had to sell it to Progress, you know? And you're like, don't listen to that guy. Fucking Mitchell Hashimoto's got a plane, you know? It's a really nice plane. I bet it is. Have you been on his plane? No, I've just seen the pictures he tweets out. The pictures are, really beautiful. Nice. pictures are beautiful. I like Mitchell. Mitchell, I'm sure, is having a great life. But, like, but I mean, the, like, there's a lot of evidence, like that open source is so powerful that it makes up for this terrible inefficiency. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic that we're going to figure it out. I just, it's just a question of how much longer are we going to stay in the dark? Okay, so I would like to also point out that there's another route that I would call the coward's route because it is my route, um, which is to actually sell a product, build a product that um, is not the software product in which the software is very important, but it's also ancillary. And that's what we've done on Oxide. <laughs> yeah, right? sure. Which, look, I'm... I'm all in, right? And, but in a, I would like to, there are other like really important, there have been important open source contributions from, I mean, we talked about Uber earlier, right? From Uber, from Lyft, from LinkedIn, mm-hmm. from Amazon, from Google, from Meta, these companies that have actually a, an unrelated business. And that business is a, it, it can support the development of open source software and they contribute that back to the commons. So I think that like that is a model um, and it's, um, I know that it's uh, not always what people want to hear, but we we have been kind of implicitly or explicitly talking about really pure software companies. Um, I'd also like to point out, not to be too morbid, but um, software companies just tend to consolidate no matter what. I mean, there was a huge. I mean, before the dot com boom, totally. the, there was a there was a tremendous boom in software companies in Silicon Valley in the '80s, more or less all of all of which consolidated into basically Oracle, Microsoft, IBM. And also it's been kind of interesting that you've been using, we've been talking about Red Hat as if it's an independent company, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I guess that they've, they succeeded in tricking us. And I mean, when you've been saying Red Hat, you actually mean IBM. Well, now I, now I mean IBM, but I would argue that like part of the, part of the danger of Red Hat being acquired by IBM is that even when you talk to people at Red Hat, and I've tried because I, I feel like I had this revelation about what their actual business model was and how it functioned. And then I went like deeply in search of people who got it, right? I was like, oh my God, is that how this works? And then I was like, I couldn't shut up about it. And I like used every trick I had to gain access to people to be like, will you talk to me about this? And like, I went and found open source lawyers and I talked to the, and like, there is a cadre of people who really understand that this, what I'm describing saying to you is really true. And they don't talk about it because for them, it was a competitive hedge. 
Like it was a competitive weapon they had that they knew how to do this and other people didn't. And and they built a company around it that that is successful. And but also like over time, of course, the knowledge of where that comes from erodes. So like, you know, companies companies behave like their founders for a really long time, even when their founders are gone, you know? Yes. Because their oh, spirits yes. just sort of infuse the place, you know? I and mean, like, it's amazing that we are now way more than a decade past the life of Steve Jobs and Apple still I mean, it still has all many trademarks of jobs. They'll have it for a hundred years, right? That wall if you go to Walmart headquarters, it's covered in Sam Walton. You know, like it's just he'll be there forever. But like Red Hat's the same, right? Like there's this storyline of who they are. So like one of the big risks was that IBM doesn't actually understand what those dynamics were and are, right? And in fact, like um, probably has a counter view of what those dynamics were and how to monetize them best and was and, and dramatically less efficient and bad at it, right? So like there's a real risk that Red Hat itself actually stops being great at what made Red Hat's business model so efficient have none so i want to just well i was gonna say brian there's something that you said that i want to pull on and i don't know if it'll end up making the conversation because i'm sure we're kind of wrapping up but like i don't want to make it end on a negative note necessarily but you (laughs) you just kind of reiterated this about like software companies inevitably consolidate um i think and maybe this is just totally off base, that one of the great things about open source is that it is kind of like a a check on that consolidation because there's always Absolutely. people spinning up all these weird little projects. Yep. Um, one of the trends I see in open source more and more, especially if you're looking at like university folks and folks who like want to participate in open source, like they're not going the independent route. Like they're going the go get the like 200k junior developer salary at like Microsoft and like work on open source via these large organizations. And if you look at the people contributing to the popular open source projects these days, like the percentage of contributors coming from massive companies um, has never been higher. Like literally has never been higher. Um, uh, you had shared that you think maybe it's good if there's less open source companies. And I think I disagree. Um, one, because it's self-serving and that's obvious. But two, um, I don't Current think the consolidation is good. Obviously. I mean, <laughs> you, said, you said it. You said you yeah. thought it would be good. And I was like, whoa, I think that that has some really long-term system effects that I yes. don't like. I agree. I think those are really bad system effects. And that's why I care so much about this open source company problem, because I want software not to consolidate and I want there to be expanding opportunities for people who can't get those 200K Microsoft junior developer jobs. And if we want that future, then we like really need to solve the like, why is the open source business problem? Like we need to solve that and like tell everybody Otherwise, like, would the future's bad. Fuck yeah, <laughs> that's Ashley. what I care about. Fuck yeah. I'm 100% <laughs> on Team Ashley. Like, and because I, I think I think that's the crux of it. Like, the actual, the actual thing about open source and capitalism here is that, like, the open source part, we keep talking, Brian's point that software is the unique is really, really real. And that unique nature of the software means that there's a unique societal 
thing that's happened through open source and free software that we've only begun to understand. Yes. And yeah. and if and if and if we figure out what it what that uniqueness is, like what is it about that that allows us to empower other people to change their lives? Like at Chef's Peak, I had people coming up to me in the street, like thanking me for writing Chef and for the change that it had on their lives. Most of them weren't Chef customers. They were just people who used Chef, right? They, they like, you know, fed their family because they got a job as a, you know, they, they got more, they got paid more, like whatever it was. Like that, there were real people that like, that, that because it was open source, it changed the, the arc of who they were. And that's certainly what's happened in my life. And like, I think we have to figure out how to align those things together into a theory of what it means to, to create open source in a way that at its core cherishes that, that unique aspect of it. And that, that if we don't do that, then we're just going to be stuck in this cycle of people like being, you know, Dave McJanet's. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's not clear if I'm allowed to be on Team Ashley because I feel like Team Ashley was constructed <laughs> too. Like, so I can't be picked on Team Ashley, but I would like to also join Team right. Ashley. The thing in that, you said that stuck with me, and I got worried about it. <laughs> right. So, I just to be clear, I I I think that the I I think Adam, what you said is really important. I think I would also add to that it's important to find a way to do it to build truly sustainable businesses and. That that the those businesses may be smaller, but they may be more enduring. And I, I don't think it has anything to do with their size. Like I think it I does think, in terms of headcount. I think it definitely does. I mean, sure. I, I I mean, it's like Docker could not support the headcount that it had. It just couldn't. I mean, I mean, we should talk about it. Do, I think <laughs> this is a, this is just a a series now. <laughs> Well, fortunately, actually, we've recorded. We, we, you know, we've been shooting our mouths off for so long. We actually already have one where we've shot our mouths off about Docker <laughs> on Docker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the it, but I, I think that you that you need to. I do think you need to kind of figure out how to be how to be sustainable. And yeah. the, the which is not to say. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think. And I, yeah, Adam, you know, you raised a very good point um, about the. It, it is a responsibility to find a way to be profitable because otherwise you can't do all the other things we want to do in the world. And that actually, that's, I don't know if you know this, but that is very much rhetoric from HP, from the kind of height of HP, the good HP. Um, HP had the same idea. HP was a, at the time, a very good capital G company, but felt that like if we are, our first responsibility has to be for the profitability of the business because otherwise we perish. We can't do all these things. Narrator's voice, they perish anyway, but the, Okay. Well, um, wait, I, haven't, I feel like, like this has come up a lot and maybe again, this is self-serving. I have no idea, but I think that there is a responsibility. like, okay, yeah, everyone's going to talk about communism and get in the chat, but whatever. I think there's a responsibility as like leaders and stewards in open, like just saying like, well, if you want to have a business, you better figure out how to make it sustainable. Like, sure. I just, I don't <laughs> think that's interesting advice. I think it's a much more interesting like thing to do that could be like a much higher impact like area to work in, which is like as stewards and leaders of this community, like we all care about open source so much. And we already said part of the way in this conversation that like early decisions of people doing open source in general kind of led to some of these side effects like I feel like this is something that OSI should be looking at. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's an oh, opportunity okay. yeah, for like, yeah. larger groups. Yeah. 
Like just saying mm. like, oh, little business person, like you really want to make money with your open source. That's cute. Good luck. Yeah. Like, I, I think will say a bigger thing. <laughs> I think you're right. And I, OSI will be particularly hard to do that because they are really. I know, I know. <laughs> so I think you're, it should be. They, and they need to expand. I just want to, you mentioned Docker. So I just want to toss out Docker's current business model is like 95% aligned to Red Hat's. For sure. After they've recapped the company. And, and they, yeah, they but guess out. what? Once they decided to charge people money, everybody got real mad about it. Now they're like, anecdotally, we don't have any evidence. But let's just say between friends, the rumor mill says that company popped more than 100 million bucks in ARR. And that's also very hard to do. And it happened because suddenly, if you want Docker brand Docker, you got to fork over your five bucks a month. Yeah. And it turns out enough people did. And now they're making a bunch of money. So, you know, I'm, that's I'm, I'm stoked for them. It's like one of the great yeah. open source business turnarounds of all time. And like, like, but we're not talking about it like that. Mostly we talk about it where we're like, there used to be a free Docker and now it's not, you know, <laughs> I'm like, no, the, com amazing. the company was recapped. I mean, a bunch of people lost a ton of money. A lot of investors lost a ton of money. Yeah, Everyone, but we don't care. The only ones Nobody should money care about on... how investors did. Sure. Nobody I mean, should no, but... talk about how venture capital did. Sure, but there's a reason that people are going to be like, I mean, it's great that the that that Docker and maybe you could argue that like the Docker now is the model that you're talking about, but they need and but with with much less headcount with much with with a focus on that sustainability. Um, it, I, I also like the analogy in the chat that it's like this sounds like Theodore Roosevelt era conservation and like we need like a national park system. For we do. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I actually, actually, I really like the idea of like the, the I, I think as we look forward, I think foundations played an important role in the last 10 years. I think they're going to play an even more important role in the next 10. Um, I so, think that we, I think it depends. I, I want foundations to like, I guess this is, I don't know, this is something I've been chasing for so long, but like, I really want foundations to be these things that they just like aren't for a lot of reasons and like the first one would be the idea of taking business advice from almost any of them um because they are not run terribly well and i mean there's a joke about nonprofits there but the lf on the other hand seems to be a very interesting and very successful business <laughs> they're 990 i would love their money um <laughs> but <sighs> I mean, maybe with this angle, we could, we would see a new generation of foundations that have higher operational skills. <laughs> I don't know. Is that too dark I mean, on foundations? Am I the only one who thinks think that they're like not I mean, impressive generally? I, yeah, I think, I think we're liable to wind up with foundations do as a dominant force. And that would be a shame if we don't figure out how to help people be able to build efficient businesses the way Brian describes or in whatever other way they want to build them. If the only way to get spread and, and to get, uh, to get paid and all of those things is to go through a foundation. I think, I don't think that's net good for open source in general, because there's, there's a, there's a lot of potential goods there that, that sort of get left by the, by the roadside. Um, and I think, I don't know, Maybe what's going to happen is that like Ashley and Brian and me and whoever else wants to join the like little cabal should just become the like open source business model cabal. 
I, I, no, like, I told you, I've taken the coward's way. I started a computer <laughs> company so I could have this like unequivocal open source model that I don't have to worry about, you know, changing licenses. Look, man, I tried to take the coward's way and just build a proprietary SaaS company. And then I was like, ah, this thing really should be open source. You know, you buckled. I, I buckled. I, unfortunately, it's like, it, it's really hard to actually like give away hardware. So I was overwhelmed by my principles. That, exactly. Um, well, this has been... Uh, this has been great. I think I will let the P99 folks know that actually you only needed to let us run for another hour and 37 minutes. So I, like, I'm not sure why you got the hook prematurely. Uh, and I feel like we could go like actually quite a bit longer. Um, well, I mean, I think Adam is basically suggesting that we create some sort of informal, almost maybe even becomes formal group and just like be be the people that we want to exist to help with this problem. I mean, I, I have to like, be careful because I'm very susceptible to that type of call. <laughs> I mean, look, I can say this for sure. Like after we got off that call, I think I don't remember exactly what the order of operations was, but like Ashley pinged me on discord and we were like, that was so fun. We should talk some more. And I think Brian was immediately like, that was so fun. We should talk some more. And, and then we went straight to like open source is utilitarian. And that's where all the problems come from. And we were like, yes. And we got like very nerdy about sort we of haven't the, even talked about the protestant ethic yet anyways <laughs> we didn't talk about the protestant work ethic there's a whole there's a lot of Ooh, we get more Calvinism? i would yeah I, it's I, so are are certain open source projects preordained into heaven based on their github stars is this the <laughs> exactly. neo-calvinism for open source yeah all right Obviously. and like well, I think, that is a hot take yeah but i think there really is a very legitimate kind of work that needs to get done and i don't know how or where it happens that is actually like a true an actual study of what these dynamics are because it's all anecdotal and if you want to avoid HashiCorps in the world you have to turn that anecdotal thing into something that you can at least hang an intellectual hat on and right now you, you really can't like it's just vibes versus you know spreadsheets it's just vibes yes yeah oh my gosh it's just vibes it's sounds vibe. like well <laughs> This has been great. Uh, thank you both. Thank you, all three of you, for I I, I like the um the you know I, I feel Adam Leventhal with two Adams here. I I'm kind of channeling my inner John McLaughlin. Did you watch the McLaughlin Group? <laughs> no. Issue number four: Open Source Foundations. Adam Leventhal. No, this is not. Exactly. How I'm doing it. This, I, I feel like, this is like when Mike Myers did his Sean Cartier impersonation on Saturday Night Live, and it was just like deafening silence because no idea, no one had any idea who Sean Cartier was. Anyway, whatever. Should not the John in this episode. There's been a lot of voices. It's been very theatrical. I, I loved so. your McLaughlin group voice, and I knew exactly what you were doing. That was amazing. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Someone else was was drifting through PBS at the wrong hours of the night in 1985. Um, but this has been great, and I it's been really. I thank you all for coming back um, and picking this up. Uh, thank you for those of you in the chat. I know we had a a, a lot of. Uh, good stimulation from the chat. Um, people are already asking for a part two. I don't know how many hours would we have to go on before people are like, never talk about this again. Well, <laughs> how many hours does it go on before we're just the cabal? And yeah, all the I cabal mean, meets is getting together be. in Discord. We already talked about open source funding. I mean, this panel alone has shown up for several conversations already over yeah. this past year. So. <laughs>
Well, um, all right. Well, then, we, then we're just going to Adam. Sorry, we're just not going to end it. We're just going to get this. We're going to keep the episode open. We're just going to keep running. Twenty-four hour stream, baby. Twenty-four hours exactly. We're going to start. Oh, uh, I'm going to go uh, get a catheter here, uh, and I'm just going to go to the distance. <laughs> All um, right, all right. I, I knew, I knew I could get there. Yeah, that, that's what it took. Um, I will I, again. Thank you all. Um, we, we will. We're gonna have to do it again at some point. Um, hopefully, no more rug pulls to come. Um, but uh, this a, a lot of sage, sage wisdom. I do love Ashley. I, I love uh, baby communist Ashley, and I think I want to get the plush to all of that. So you have to <laughs> let me know when that's available. I want one too. All right. Thank you all, and thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.